Welcome to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. On this week's show, we will recap the end of the season for your regular season conference champion, Wichita State Shockers. We'll discuss head coach Isaac Brown getting a five-year contract, and we'll preview a big weekend down in Fort Worth for the AAC tournament. Great show coming up right after this. Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Wichita State Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. Taylor, I think we could take this so many different ways here off the top. Uh, it's been a, a season that uh, has had its uh, its downs to start, but it's been mainly up here in Shockerland recently. They get two wins. They're crowned regular season conference champions, but before we get to that, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, Isaac Brown getting the head job, five-year contract, and kind of just what, what that's been like around the program over the last week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone is just so happy for this guy, and you know, it's like a lot of people know his story now, you know, lifelong assistant, uh, you know, the last 18 years as a division one assistant coach. I mean, he's put in his time. You talk to, you know, head coaches that he's worked under at previous stops. They all love him. You talk to former WSU players. They all love him. You know, you saw the reaction on Twitter from, you know, Fred Van Fleet, Ron Baker, Richard Kelly, uh, you know, Marcus McDuffie, guys like that. You know, they all love IB. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think this was a huge, uh, huge win for, uh, you know, a player's program. You know, if you're, if you're trying to go in that direction and, uh, you know, putting players first, uh, then, you know, IB is, is definitely the right hire there. I know a lot, some fans are a little hesitant to, uh, you know, accept it because, you know, they, they were curious to see, you know, what kind of name a coaching search could have had, uh, you know, could have uh, scrounged up, uh, you know, after the season because, you know, which I'll say it's, it's a primetime job. I mean, it's, a uh, probably a unanimous top 40 job and you know this is a big big uh you know uh, decision for athletic director darren boatwright so you know there were some fans i saw on on social media that uh wanted uh felt like wsu maybe should have waited to see but you know i think the overwhelming majority were were really happy with how the season went and you know obviously it's a huge credit i've, I've written a ton on canvas.com on just uh how important IB was obviously this is a team effort they couldn't have done it without you know the players buying in and digging down and finding something uh you know a little extra this season they couldn't have done it without the assistant coaches uh you know video coordinator jeff chapman uh you know player development coach nick jones uh the dobo dominic ocone guys like that you know they all had to pitch in this year and you know come through with their best season of their lives and uh you know it's a true team effort but i talked to just about every one of them and they all say you know ib was the perfect one to be the the head of the the operation you know just his calm demeanor uh you know in such a, a turbulent time that's what brought you know calmness to the rest of the team to the players to the assistant coaches to everyone up and down the staff you know ib was just you know the perfect guy for the job i think i wrote in the story that you know the the situation was far from perfect but you know ib was the perfect one for the job so um yeah i mean that's that's kind of my thoughts coming away uh, from it and then obviously the five-year deal we're starting to find a little more details about it uh worth six million dollars uh some of the buyout stuff's a little interesting i mean he can't uh leave the contract uh for the first three years so he's basically here for sure for the next three seasons at least and then um and wsu can then uh on their end they can buy him out of the contract you know if things uh don't work out for a hundred percent of his salary if they do it the first three years and then you know it kind of goes down from there in the, the fourth and fifth year so a little bit different than uh than marshall's contract but uh we're still waiting to, to find out the incentives uh, the fringe benefits stuff like that those are always kind of fun details to to see in coaches contracts but uh, right now, they actually haven't had the official contract signed. They signed a letter of intent, uh, which is, you know, the holding document until, you know, the contract is signed, which I've been told, you know, as soon as the season is over, that's when Isaac is going to, you know, sit down and, and sign it. I mean, right now, he's just so busy with, you know, trying to get WSU, uh, you know, to the NCAA tournament that, you know, just doesn't want to focus on that right now. He'll take care of that as soon as the season is over. So, 
Um, but yeah, that's big news that happened. Yeah, and now it's hard to believe, you know, almost uh, over a week ago. So um, uh, just really happy. I mean, I can't say it from just working with Isaac uh, since I got this job, you know, four years ago. He's by far the nicest, you know, a nicest dude I've uh, met on the staff. I mean, just so chill, so funny. Uh, like I've, I've written in the story, I mean, you talk to him for five minutes and it feels like you've known him forever. I mean, he treats you, he really does treat you like, uh, you know, your best friends. And he has that, you know, kind of that Southern draw, the old Mississippi twang. And, uh, you know, he'll, he'll put your, his hand on your shoulder and kind of, uh, you know, tell you a story. And it just uh, makes you feel like you're one of the guys and just like one of, uh, you know, part of part of his team. So I think going forward, um, you know, it's going to be really good for Wichita State. I think uh, recruiting uh, it's going to open some new doors. Uh, you know, obviously Greg Marshall had a very distinct playing style, uh, very demanding as a coach. Uh, you know, some of that, you know, that, that turns on for some guys. Uh, you know, that's going to be something they want. But, you know, it's just a, a simple fact that, you know, a lot of these top 150 recruits, I mean, they're just not going to consider WSU for, for the kind of that reputation. And, uh, with Isaac, I think, uh, because he has all these guys on his side, he has, you know, Fred and Ron and Landry and, uh, you know, pretty much all of WSU's recent stars, you know, he can hit them up and get them to, you know, come by and, or say something or whatever. I mean, he has all of these guys on his side. And then obviously, uh, you know, just that reputation for being a player's coach. So I think you could see, uh, you know, some benefits to that in the recruiting trail. Obviously, the, the flip side of that, you know, Greg Marshall, I mean, he's the one that had the final fours. He's the one with the 35 and one season. So he had a lot in his pocket that he could offer too. So IB, while he was, you know, uh, wasn't there for those two seasons, but he was there for a lot of the success, uh, but he wasn't the main man in charge. So I'm sure that's going to be something he's going to have to overcome in the recruiting trail. But I think uh, he's got, you know, a lot of other things to offer and it's going to be interesting. And as long as they have Tyson Waterman on the staff, I mean, they're going to be in the mix for some, some uh, pretty big-time players. So, able to, uh, you know, find at least one gym in just about every one of the one of these classes since he came. So. And that's just it. I think it's so important that the whole staff is together. You think about, uh, you know, Waterman as the recruiter, Lou Gudino, X's and O's, Billy Kennedy's had experience as a head coach before, and I know probably helped uh, IB throughout the year. And people have asked me over the last week what my thoughts are, and I just said, look at that video that they posted on the social media channels, how excited the players were after it was announced by Darren Boatwright that they had uh, come to an agreement. It's like, that that's all the evidence you need right there. I mean, just how much these guys smile how much they they want to do well uh for for coach brown and and uh that's you know certainly been a motivating factor all season yeah i mean yeah just like what you said i mean that that was a genuine authentic reaction and you know that that doesn't come with uh you know without uh a coach earning uh trust earning respect from players and i think it's a real credit to I mean, I don't know if everyone kind of realizes just how bad this season could have been for Wichita State, you know, in a different situation or, or with a different, uh, you know, coaching staff or, you know, someone that not like IB, uh, you know, this could have gone south really quickly because, you know, all of these guys came to Wichita to play for Greg Marshall. You know, all of these families sent their sons to play for Wichita State, but also for Greg Marshall, you know, the final four coach, this isn't what they signed up for. And, uh, you know, especially in an investigation that had nothing to do with them. And now the head coach that they all wanted their sons to play for is not there. You know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, behind the scenes kind of tension. And, uh, you know, there were some conversations that, that were had. And I think uh, Isaac and the coaching staff deserve a ton of credit for keeping this together because this could have gone south really quickly. And it's uh, kind of a borderline miracle that there was no one that left. I mean, there, uh, there are some players that just opted out uh, just due to safety and uh, health issues. And that could have been an easy out for them just to say, Hey, I don't feel safe. Um, and it kind of, you know, as, as that cover, because, uh, you know, this just wasn't what they signed up for. And uh, none of these guys transferred. Uh, you know, they all stayed, they stayed in because IB is the perfect one to lead this team. And I think you've uh, seen that play out this season because they played so hard for him. Um, you know, 
uh, not every assistant coach is like that. I mean, it's such a delicate balance because, um, I mean, sometimes you have to, to really, you know, get into them and, and rip them and, uh, you know, criticize the players. And, but there's also, you know, this, this, uh, just kind of this, uh, it factor with assistants that, you know, not, not every assistant has it, you know, not every assistant has that makeup, you know, as a head coach, but IB is just a natural one. Uh, I mean, he doesn't want, you know, the fame. He doesn't want, uh, you know, to talk about himself. He doesn't ever want to, you know, bring any attention to himself. He just wants to talk about the players, about the team. And I think that's what players really like about him is that he, he puts the players first. Um, I think they respect him because he is a former player uh, at a high level. Um, I think that makes a difference too. I mean, he played at Texas A&M. Uh, you know, is a really good basketball player, so they feel like they can talk to him um, just uh, just on a different kind of level. And you know, obviously, I think Greg Marshall had a great relationship off the court with a lot of his players, but I think it's just different. Uh, you know, obviously, he was a player too, but you know, IB was you know a player at a high level you know, in the SEC. I think that stuff kind of it makes a difference, and it just opens up doors that just aren't possible for you know, every coach, uh, you know, in the business. And I think IB is just such a natural. And uh, like I said, I mean, he was just so uh, really, you know, one of a kind. And he was just, you know, the perfect man for this job. And um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, just looking at that, how those players reacted on that Twitter video tells you everything, uh, you know, uh, fans need to know. And if you watch these guys play, you know, Kelvin Sampson has said it earlier this season, you know, these guys play so hard. For Isaac Brown, that was back when he was an interim coach. So he said, you know, that's, that tells me everything I need to know about Isaac Brown as a coach. So, um, yeah, the evidence is there. And, uh, yeah, I think everyone that's in the program right now is very, very happy with the IB moving forward. It truly is one of the best stories in college basketball this year. You look at the team, they finished the regular season 15-4, and 11-2 in the AAC. They've won seven in a row. Think about how many close games that, you know, five points or less that they were able to pull out. So to your point, this season absolutely could have gone uh, a different way. But also to see the joy and the excitement of them celebrating on the court uh, this past Saturday after the win over USF, you know, mentioning on video, hey, we're pick seventh, now we're champions, Having that chip on your shoulder mentality, I, it's just uh, it, it's fantastic, and obviously, uh, hopefully, we we have some more storylines to add to the book here before the season's over. Yeah, yeah, this team has a lot of uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could probably write a, a whole book about this season just because of uh, you know coming in. This is obviously such a difficult season for for every college basketball team trying to play in a pandemic, and uh, then with Wichita State, I mean, you throw on top of all that adversity, you know the off the season uh you know just drama and you know like i said stuff that really had nothing to do with these current players and uh you know they had they were the ones that you know had to live through this you know they you know everyone in their lives asking oh it's like what's up with coach marshall you know what's up with wichita state basketball you know they had so much noise to block out this whole season uh or this whole off season and i think uh they did a great job you have to credit the players too i mean obviously uh you know, the co- coaching staff uh, puts uh, in place, uh, you know, a system and a foundation. But, you know, it's up to the players to actually go out there and, and do it. And, and they're the ones that blocked out all that noise and, uh, you know, uh, stayed focused. And I think uh, Lou Godino, when I talked to him for that story, he kind of described it best is that it just seemed that everyone was pulling in the, in the same direction. And that wasn't the case last year. You know, you had a little a few stragglers, uh, you know, especially at the end of the season when they hit adversity. Um, and that makes a difference, you know, when, you know, uh, you know, a couple of players, a couple of staff members, whoever it may be, you know, all it takes is just a couple of guys not to be pulling in the same direction. And that can throw everything off kilter. And the fact that every, all the players, all the staff members, all the coaches, you know, we're all pulling in the same direction. I think they were, I mean, the players obviously were, were playing for themselves. They had a lot to prove, pick seventh in the conference. They felt like that was a little disrespectful. Uh, the coaching staff, you know, obviously starting this season, you know, with that interim tag, they were coaching for their job. So, I mean, I think everyone kind of came together this season and just, like I said, did a little bit extra, you know. Uh, you know, obviously they always give 100%, but I think when you're in a situation like this, you just find it just creates that that added little you know maybe that little extra five percent 
just because of the stakes that, you know, just you can't do unless you're faced with the pressure of that situation. And I think that brought out the best and just about everybody in this program. It's been really cool to see. And uh, yeah, it culminated uh, over the weekend with that, that uh, conference championship first in program history since uh, joining the Americans. So yeah, it was, uh, I think you saw by that, that celebration down there, you know, just how uh, excited and uh, joyous everyone was, uh, everybody was down there. I mean, they, they know what they came through. They knew what they overcome. And uh, for it to end in a conference championship, yeah, this is really, you know, a storybook ending uh, for the Shockers. But, I mean, you talk to them and they say they're not done. You know, they, they want to add uh, a few more chapters to this. Looking back on last week's game, starting with Wichita State's 78-70 victory over Tulane, we've said all season long if we could just get Trey Wade and Dexter Dennis to play closer to, you know, kind of what their career averages have been, how that can really take this team to another level. We saw Trey Wade with 23 points, 4 of 5 from 3, and Dexter Dennis 20 points and 13 rebounds, and and certainly looked good in his home state of Louisiana. Yeah, Dexter, that was maybe his best all-around uh, that I've seen, uh, you know, him at Wichita State, just in terms of, you know, rebounding, defense, uh, making shots on offense, being aggressive. I mean, he, he did just about everything you could possibly do in that two-lane game. Uh, you know, 20 points, uh, four threes, 13 rebounds, um, you know, 10 defensive uh, rebounds. And, uh, I mean, and that's not even the best part. You know, the best part of what he did was the defense on Jalen Forbes who was coming off a career high of 37. You know, he was just throwing up flames. You know, he's averaging, I think it was like 20, 20 plus uh, for, uh, I think it was like the last five or six games coming into that. You know, no one could shut this guy down in conference. And then not only, so Dexter last game held him to 0 for 13. It was a primary defender on a lot of those shots. 0 for 13, no field goals, uh, nine points in his first game against WSU. Second meeting, Forbes goes one for nine, five points. So uh, just a really, really spectacular, um, you know, defensive job by Dexter Dennis on, you know, one of the better scores in the American Athletic Conference. You know, adds just adds another bullet to, you know, the resume of, of, of being that American Athletic Conference Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, I'm not sure if he'll end up getting it. I think awards come out on Wednesday. Uh, but, man, he has put together – just about as good of a case as you can for a perimeter defender. Uh, you know, obviously Memphis and uh, Houston, they have elite defenses. Uh, their their best guys are going to be in consideration for that award. But, you know, in terms of just most valuable defensive player, you know, WSU didn't have that level of defense this year. But uh, I think Dexter, uh, the defense he played on the perimeter one through four, Man, that, that's tough to replicate anywhere else in this conference from what I've seen. So I think he's definitely in that conversation. Altree Gilbert had 12 assists in the game. That's the most by a shocker since 1991, and they led for 36 of 40 minutes. So even though it got a little closer there towards the end, uh, just survive and advance this time of year and take care of business, and that's what they did. Yeah, Altariq, uh, it was kind of a, a weird game for him. You know, he goes one for 10, uh, six turnovers, but also... 12 assists, like you said. I mean, most assists for a shocker in 30 years. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's uh, something he can add to his resume, too. And um, he's kind of had, you know, a little bit of an up and down year in terms of just uh, offensive efficiency. But I think um, when you look at the numbers, they don't truly capture his impact on this team. Um, I don't think, I, I just think the, the confidence that he adds to uh, the rest of the team when he's out there in crunch time. Uh, you just can't really capture that in, you know, analytics or numbers or any kind of statistic. Uh, I mean, just talking to the players, I mean, they just, they, they know how good he is. They know how slippery he is. You can get by just about anybody with his quickness. And I think we've seen that too, uh, down the stretch. He's, he scored a lot of, you know, clutch baskets for Wichita State where he just, uh, you know, uh, finds a way to get in the lane and then, uh, you know, finishes, uh, finishes the floater, finishes the layup, whatever it is. So, um, I think his value is more than just his numbers this season, but um, yeah, what a what a great story. I mean, we're talking about a storybook season for Wichita State. Now, this is a storybook ending to you know the career of Altariq Gilbert, who you know had so many injuries at UConn, and uh, you know just 
so much uh, untapped potential because of those injuries. I mean, he's a former McDonald's All-American, and he just never really, you know, it just seemed like there was just uh, some kind of bug or just some, some kind of, uh, you know, funk that just always loomed over him when he was in stores and just never really felt right. And, you know, when he came to Wichita State, you know, uh, this could have been another, you know, scary chapter in his life, too, because, you know, he, he committed to UConn to play for Kevin Ollie. He gets fired after his first season, so he had to deal with a new coach. Uh, and like I said, the injuries and all that stuff. And then uh, he, he uh, you know, graduates, wants to go somewhere his last year and compete for a championship and commits to Greg Marshall to play for Wichita State. And then what do you know? You know, doesn't even get to play one game for Greg Marshall. So um, I talked to Alteric's mother, and he said, you know, uh, she said that there were some bad memories that were triggered there. And, you know, obviously with the uh, Alteric uh, mental health journey, that was, that was tough. You know, that, that's, a, that's really difficult for him because, you know, he, he was craving that stability and he thought he was getting it in Wichita. And then, you know, then the program gets turned upside down, but basically right after he commits. So um, what a story though, for him to be able to, to stay, you know, remain resilient, and I think that's the best word to describe all three Gilbert is resilient. And, you know, it hasn't been a perfect season. I don't think anyone would say, I mean, the shooting percentage is, is kind of turnovers, maybe a little bit higher than, than what you would want, but, but man, you know, he, he's a double digit scorer. He leads the team in assists. Like I said, he's, he's a clutch basket getter for the shockers. And I think he's a huge region reason why, they just keep finding ways to win games. And, you know, looking back on, you know, what this team was missing the last two years, you know, steady point guard play, exactly what Altery Gilbert has been able to give them. And, uh, yeah, it was really cool to see, you know, him celebrate. Because, uh, you know, all of his life he just wanted to, you know, find happiness on the basketball court. And for him to come to Wichita – uh, to find a place where he fit in, where, you know, the players loved him, the coaches loved him, um, and then for him to win a championship. You know, you can't write a better ending than that for Altree Gilbert. And, uh, you know, if you saw the pictures of him celebrating, man, I mean, if you knew his backstory, it, it would just make you tear up because, you know, it was just so just that, that moment of ecstasy, that moment of just pure happiness. You know, he's been through so much in his life and uh, so much, uh, you know, pain and disappointment on the basketball court. So for him to find that moment of happiness, just, you know, laying on the floor in the confetti, just taking it all in, you know, that was really cool to see. And uh, yeah, you have to be happy for him. And you can see it from the UConn fans reaction too on Twitter. After I wrote that story, a lot of UConn fans uh, in the mentions wishing all well, really happy to see him end his career this way, this way. Altariq has 307 career assists, and he is now the conference's active assist leader. Shockers took care of business on Saturday with an 80-63 win over USF. Tyson Etienne has 21 points. It's the ninth time that he scored 20 or more points this season. He finishes fourth in the regular season in conference, uh, scoring 17.1 points per game. Uh, team led by as much as 28. You certainly had the senior day celebration on top of the regular season championships. So just a, a great day to be at Coke Arena. Yeah, I mean, they, they did exactly what they, they needed to do. It was a little slow start, you know. They, they didn't really get much separation until the end of the first half. And then uh, that was kind of the question, you know, this whole season. Can this team put somebody away? And, you know, the answer before that was no. I mean, they, they let teams hang around and, you know, they would build these big, you know, 15 to 20-point leads and then let them come back and, you know, make things – more interesting than they should have been, you know, in the last minute. Um, and this one was the opposite. You know, they, they uh, you know, the, the key stretch was coming out of halftime because, you know, it's a 10-point lead. You know, whoever makes that first run, you know, is, uh, you know, USF, are they going to make that first run, get it down to maybe a possession or two? Or is WSU going to, you know, make that, that first run and, and extend this lead? And that's exactly what they did. Um, it didn't take them long to, you know, push that lead up to 20. and. Um, yeah, Tyson Etienne finally got going. Uh, you know, USF was, was talking to him, and that just never ends well for opponents. I don't know when they're going to learn, but uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people talk to him this season, and uh, you know, he's he's from you know uh, he, he grew up playing in the streets of New York, so I mean, he's not afraid to go right back at him 
I think if you watch him closely in games, he's very entertaining to watch. And uh, I mean, there's some, you know, some some smack talk going down out there. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, time and time again, Tyson has uh, backed it up and made defenders, you know, look silly. And you know, six threes. Uh, he had a cold shooting half too, and I think that talking kind of got him going in the second half, and he was kind of the one that buried buried the Bulls. So um, that kind of backfired on them in the long run. But, yeah, that was uh, good to see from WSU too. I mean, that was the, the biggest uh, conference win of the season uh, in terms of margin of victory, and uh, that was exactly what they need to do. You know, they need to start learning how to put teams away. And, uh, you know, it's now, uh, you know, obviously they would have liked to have been doing this earlier in the season, but, you know, there's no better time than now. So uh, to be able to start doing that in March, uh, that might be a good sign. They might see the Bulls again as they will play the winner of USF and Temple on Friday down in Fort Worth. Dexter Dennis was named the conference's player of the week for his efforts last week. They're the equivalent of number 32 in the AP poll that was released today, got 13 votes. Now, as far as the metrics are concerned, currently net ranked 65, Ken Palm 72 on bracket matrix. They're in 96 out of 103 brackets, but let's uh, talk a little hypothetical here. Uh, how many games do you think they need to win in Fort Worth to to feel good? Is making the championship enough, or or if they don't win the whole thing, they're not in? Or or your thoughts on where they're at? I know several other bubble teams have taken some losses over the last week or so, so I, I think the Shockers are should at least be feeling in a little better position. Yeah, definitely. I think not playing during that stretch after the Houston game actually helped them uh, move up in the bubble in terms of uh, teams and. Uh, you know, taking care of business this last week obviously helped. I think winning the, the American regular season title is a very nice chip to have. That's going to be able to, you know, distinguish them from other bubble teams, that, you know, that are middle of the pack in major conferences. Uh, I think that's going to make them stand out. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's more more about uh, who they don't – I mean, if they're going to lose one, it's more about who they lose to than how many they win. So. Um, you know, if you face uh, like SMU in the semifinals, losing that one is not going to hurt you because, you know, SMU is ranked actually ahead of them in the net, I believe. And, uh, you know, they're, they're top 75. But if that second game is Cincinnati, well, you know, then, then that becomes a little more dicey because Cincinnati is outside, um, you know, uh, pretty, pretty far down the net ranking. So um, I think it, it depends more on just you can't take a bad loss. Um, you know they're obviously gonna have to win that first one. You can't lose the USF or Temple. You gotta win that one. Then, like I said, in that semifinals, uh, you know if you lose to SMU, that's not the end of the world. They're still gonna be sweating it out um, just because. But um, I think they would have a pretty solid case uh, to at least be, you know, maybe in that that final four in. And and really this season, you know, if you're even if you're one of the first four out, you still have a pretty good chance of making it just because of you know, all the COVID testing that's going on, and very unlikely that you know every single team is going to be able to test negatively this whole time to qualify to go to Indianapolis. So pretty good chance, you know, if you just keep yourself in that first four out, that you know you you might get your your number called and, and get into the dance and. Um, so I think WSU has set themselves up pretty good. I would say that if you want to feel like you're 100% locked, uh, you know, reach the tournament final. Uh, from the bracketologists that I've talked to, they've said that uh, the, the committee actually makes their final decisions uh, or a lot of the final decisions on Saturday night. So if you make it to the conference finals, you know, they're assuming uh, you get all the credit you're going to get. So. You know, win or lose, you know, obviously if they win, they're in automatically as the, the auto auto bid. But, you know, if they just reach the finals, they're going to build up that goodwill where even if they lose on Sunday, that's not going to affect uh, their seating because, uh, you know, the tournament committee is already going to have them in the field. They're already going to have that decision made if they're in the field or out of the field. So I think if they make it to the tournament finals, you feel really, really good. Uh, if you lose in the semis to SMU, Probably, probably feel like you should get in, but they're still going to be sweating it out. So, um, kind of in the same situation we were in last year, you know, uh, heading into the conference tournament, where you feel like you probably need a, a pretty good run uh, to take it out of the committee's hands, and anything less than that, then you're going to be kind of sweating it out just because you, you don't know. 
I've seen a lot of questions on Twitter. What if Wichita State makes it to the championship and let's say they lose to Memphis or they lose to SMU and SMU goes on and wins the conference title? Do you think three teams from the American could get in? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've, I've said this before, too. I thought that was – I think there's a realistic path um, for three teams in the American. And I think it's a very real with, uh, you know, for people who watch that Memphis-Houston game, that definitely felt like a championship bout. Um, and you know, those are two, I think the American, I mean, I don't know if they deserve three teams, but I definitely think that they have at least three teams that uh, are capable of competing in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, there's a little bit of a difference there because, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, you look at Memphis's schedule, you know, you watch them play, they definitely pass the high test. They definitely look like an NCAA tournament team, but you look at their resume and it's like, well, you know, who have you beaten? Uh, and that's where it kind of gets a little dicey. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that the American definitely could get three teams in. Like you said, I mean, if uh, WSU makes it to the final, Memphis beats Houston in the semis and then beats WSU in the finals, I think that's the path. Um, I think WSU is the only team, only other team besides Houston that can get in at a large now. I think SMU and Memphis are, are pretty much, you know, uh, not capable. I think even if SMU beats, Wichita State and the semis, they're they're gonna have to win the conference tournament championship to get in. And same goes for Memphis. You know that 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 heartbreaking loss at Houston. You know that that flipped the, the script for them. You know if they would have won that, then maybe you can you know beat Houston again and then reach the finals and not have to win and still get in. But now I think it's pretty much you know you got it. SMU, Memphis, their only route into the tournament is winning that conference championship. So, yeah, I mean, I think they're, I don't, I wouldn't say it's a good chance, but I think there definitely is a, you know, non-zero chance that, that the American gets three teams in. It'll just be nice to have a conference tournament. We're about to have the one-year anniversary of everything being shut down. I was actually in Fort Worth a day before uh, to uh, meet with a client down there, and uh, you start getting messages that they're telling the cheerleaders to turn around and, and everything else, and then the, the world as we knew it all changed. And so it, it's crazy. You know, it doesn't seem that long ago, but it's nice just to, to, have, to have a tournament again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, I mean, hopefully uh, there's still, you know, there's still testing to go. and. Uh, you know, obviously Wichita State is in kind of a, a little bit of a danger zone because uh, if you listen to IB throughout the season, uh, I mean, he said, you know, the majority of the roster actually had the virus, you know, right before the start of the season or right at the start. You know, that was obviously the cause that, that led them to pull out in the South Dakota tournament. So a lot of the guys uh, did not have to test for much of the season because there's a 90 day window where it's after the after a positive test, you don't have to test again um, because, you know, that's just what the scientists have, have told them. Um, uh, the health specialists have told them for, uh, you know, you, there's no uh, risk of reinfection, I guess, is, is how it's been described to me. Um, so, yes, yeah, so they have a 90-day window, and obviously that took them through most of the season. That kind of explains why WSU was able to, you know, skate by and, and not have a lot of, you know, really any COVID issues since that start of the season. And now, you know, that 90-day window came up, uh, ended for a lot of the players, if not everyone, at the end of February. So now at the start of March, everybody has to start te testing again. So it's a little bit of a different ball game for Wichita State where, you know, now you have to get, uh, you know, 15 negative tests for, for players opposed to, you know, maybe five or six or seven, which is what they, they've only needed, um, you know, for much of the season. So that's, you know, you still have to hold your breath a little, you know, um, just, uh, you know, just, uh, to, you just want to see them get to Fort Worth. I think that's the biggest part is uh, just be able to, to get down there and, and get down there safely. And, uh, yeah, just play that first game because, uh, up until then, I think every one of these teams is going to be kind of holding their breath, uh, you know, outside Houston because they need this conference tournament. I th it'll be interesting to see, you know, if uh, just a hypothetical, you know, if WSU isn't able to play in the tournament, I'd be very curious to see, you know, how their NCAA stock would, would go. Um, because right now I feel like they're, they're generally considered on the right side of the bubble, you know, as it stands right now. But, you know, would it be held against them if they didn't play in the conference tournament because of COVID? Uh, that remains to be seen. So a lot of question marks that would bring up, but 
hopefully, like you said, hopefully we can uh, get down to Fort Worth and, and play some games and uh, get to that one Friday at 11 a.m. You had some great reporting last week as well on the American Conference and its you know issues that it's had this season with COVID. So, you know, who knows? Some people said SMU shouldn't even been playing in the tournament they haven't played since february 8th uh but uh, you could always have you know one of these teams pop up and and now you got a game canceled and so i I guess uh you're you're right we just need to get down to fort worth and and get some games going when we look at the tournament tournament bracket the team will play at 11 a.m on friday on espn2 as i mentioned they'll play the winner of usf and temple uh, USF and Temple split their season series. They played back-to-back. USF won the first game 83-76, and then Temple won the second game 65-47. Uh, big picture here, just the, the probably the one that you have to have to, to get started, and, and hopefully you know, having an extra day of rest will, will benefit the Shockers. Yeah, I mean, uh, both these teams are, are, you know, South Florida with their injuries, uh, you know, without Yetna, not as dangerous as they were at the start of the season. I mean, it's kind of been a disappointing year for them. They thought they could maybe compete this year. Uh, but, you know, there's injuries, the COVID, a huge COVID pause in the middle of the season just hasn't, hasn't uh, you know, worked out for them. And then Temple, you know, this is a team that, you know, took WSU down to the wire at Coke Arena, uh, you know, in February. So they're a dangerous team, too. Uh, they got a win at South Florida, you know, to end the season. So, um, but both of these, I mean, I, I feel like there's a kind of a drop off, uh, in the American, uh, you know, obviously WSU, Houston, Memphis, SMU, kind of a clear top four. And then you got Cincinnati, UCS, Tulsa, kind of that next tier. Those are all teams that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily want to see, uh, kind of, uh, you know, dangerous teams that, that had the potential to beat, uh, just about anybody on any night. So for WSU to avoid that, that top seven, uh, or I guess the next six teams uh, is pretty key. So they got to take advantage of being the number one seed. You know, it gives you the easiest bracket. And uh, I, I definitely agree with that this year because, you know, the two teams you don't want to see, Houston, Memphis, they're on the other side of the bracket. And then you look at the teams WSU has to play, you know, Temple, South Florida. Yeah, I mean, they're they're a little spicy. They can make things interesting. But, you know, WSU is going to be favored in those games as they play well. They play like they have been. Uh, you know, those are games that they're probably going to win. And then in the semis, you have either a Cincinnati team that's been pretty disappointing, that's had a lot of, you know, COVID opt-outs, and, you know, they're a, kind of a shell of what they, they could have been. Uh, or a team like SMU, who hasn't played a game and you know, who knows how long. I think it's been like three weeks now, maybe four. Actually, it's been a month. Uh, uh, February 8th is the last time they've played. So you're going to get a team that's coming off a really, really long layoff or a team like Cincinnati, who is, uh, you know, uh, like I said, a kind of a shell of what it could have been. So um, the, the the bracket sets up very, very favorably for WSU to make a run. Um, so, yeah, they just have to, like I said, they just have to get down there. Hopefully they can, you know, pass the test uh, to, to get down there. And, um, yeah, man, I think once they're there, I mean, I think they are the favorite uh, just because, you know, if SMU is fully healthy, then it's a completely different conversation because SMU is a very, very talented offensive team. I think they could give WSU some problems, but man, it's like, who knows? They haven't played a game in a month. So um, that's, that's a really tough ask for them to just, just turn it on just like that, uh, you know, at a conference tournament. But um, so I think WSU is going to be the favorite going down there to come out of this side of the bracket. The semifinal would be at 2 p.m. on Saturday. It'll also be broadcast on ESPN2. Cincinnati and SMU only played once this year since he actually beat him 76-69 on January 7th. And, you know, who knows what you see out of SMU. They've been off so long. And then the championship would be 2-15 Sunday on ESPN. And at that point, you know, hopefully that the, the, the main bracket decisions have already been made and the Shockers are looking favorable. Of course, we'll be with you next week to uh, you know discuss wherever the Shockers are headed and, and break that down. But uh, if we look big picture, you know, three games in three days, hopefully, you know, the Shockers are playing well. They're getting contributions from from Dennis and from Wade and seem to be rebounding the ball better, seem to be shooting the ball better from three. You know, maybe some of that's just uh, who they've been playing, but um, they'll have success in Fort Worth if. What, what are your biggest keys to just the, the experience down there? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, 
you know, they're, they're rebounding a little bit better. Um, it kind of took a step backward in that South Florida game, but, um, you know, against Houston, you know, if they bring an effort like that, you know, in terms of offensive rebounding, uh, you know, they're going to get the job done. And, uh, you know, before that UCF game, I mean, WSU, just looking at the offensive rebounding percentages in the seven game winning streak, uh, 51%, 50, 33, 41, 47, 40. So, uh, you know, they were killing it on the offensive glass and, uh, and it plummeted down to 22 against South Florida. But, um, you know, for the most part, they were really, really crashing the glass well. And then you mentioned the three point shooting, you know, uh, another thing that you I mean, you look at what has been the kind of the consistent thing in this winning streak. They've hit 10 three pointers and let's see, five of seven games. Their percentages the last five games, 41, 42, 46. 41-43. So they're topping 40% from the three-point line in five straight games. And obviously, that's spread. That's a that's a, like a month now, even though it's just five games, just because of those that long layoff. Uh, but still, you know, that's that's a very encouraging sign for WSU going into the postseason. Guys like Trey Wade, guys like uh, Dexter Dennis have really, really started to turn it on here in the month of March and in February. So. Uh, you know, if they're hitting, that just opens up WSU's offense so much. And uh, we really haven't seen, you know, kind of a, uh, an efficient explosion from uh, Tyson Etienne. Um, you know, obviously he, he topped 20 points in the USF game, but, you know, it took him 15 shots. And um, you just get the feeling that he's due for one of those, you know, the, the UCF game uh, to start the streak, 29 points. 15 shots, he hit five threes. You just get the feeling that he's due for one of those games where he's just, you know, hitting at a high percentage behind the arc and he's, you know, finishing at the rim and getting to the foul line. And, uh, you know, he, he's still, he's so good at manufacturing these, uh, you know, 15 plus games. But, you know, I just have the feeling that he's due for an explosion. So I, I would look for that too. If he can get going. Uh, you know, he gives them a chance in just about every one of these games. Buy or sell time, producer Brian. All right, so we've been talking a lot about the conference tournament. So let's picture a scenario Wichita State makes the finals. Who would you rather see, Houston or Memphis, in the finals? And, and, and I say this not as a trying to get into the NCAA tournament. I say this as the team who will win the championship. Let's start with you, Taylor. Man, yeah, that's tough. Um, I would say, man, I would say, I will. I want to say, uh, I want to say Houston for a hot take because I think Memphis. But I just don't know how Memphis is going to respond to this last loss because if they play like that against just about any other team, like they're they're uh, probably going to win. That was a very high high level basketball game between Memphis and Houston uh, this weekend. Um, their defense is just such a bad matchup for WSU. Uh, they just had a lot of success and taking, uh, taking WSU out of, you know, what they do on offense and, you know, they crash the glass and really get up in you in the defensive end. But man, that offense is just not, uh, you know, not as trustworthy as Houston. Uh, so I'm going to say, you know, out of the two, you probably want to see Memphis just because, you know, um, you know, the, the the elite level of defense is about the same, but I think uh, Houston's a little bit better offensively more times than not uh, than Memphis. So it's it's really close, though. I mean, the way that Memphis is playing right now, they're they're angry, but, you know, who knows? You know, they might just kind of turn over in the conference tournament if they, they let this loss get to them. I mean, you, you read the quotes that are coming out of Memphis. It's, it's definitely – Penny is definitely embracing the Memphis versus everybody vibe. Uh, so who knows if that could backfire or it could rally them even further and they could just, you know, come out, come down to Fort Worth and just play lights out. So, um, in that case, I do not want to see, you know, do not want to see Memphis on my side of the bracket, but coming in, I'll go Memphis. That's my long winded answer. Sorry, Def. Go ahead. 
I would say Memphis strictly for the revenge factor. I think Houston is, uh, you know, they're out for blood after losing in Wichita, whereas Wichita State lost by 20 down at Memphis. And so that would kind of be a little bit of a motivating factor for them. I agree, you know. Both are great teams. Neither is a great matchup, but I think Memphis is the answer. All right, we're going to do the last three I got here, some over-unders for you guys to give me. So major award season. The conference is going to announce them on Wednesday, I believe. So defensive player of the year, coach of the year, player of the year. Wichita State has candidates for all of them. The over-under is 1.5. What are you taking, Dustin? I'll take the under. I think IB's the coach of the year, but I'm not sure that uh, – I don't think Tyson gets player of the year, and I, I'm not sure on Dexter either. So I'll, I'll take the under. Yeah, I'm going to go under too. I think I agree with Dustin. IB will get coach of the year. Um, I just think that they're, the rest of the conference views, even though the conference standings say what they say, you know, obviously WSU didn't play a full schedule. I still think that teams view Houston as, as you know, the best team in the conference, and rightfully so. You know, they've been the most consistent uh, – you know, top 10 team for a reason. So I think Grimes will probably get player of the year. And defense, that, that's the one that's kind of a question mark for me. I think Dexter has a great case, but, you know, Memphis and Houston are top 10 defense. Just have a feeling that one of those guys is going to get it there. So um, I agree. I'll go under. Just as an aside, so let's let's say, you know, Houston gets the, the player of the year and the defensive player of the year. Do you think that kind of – puts a little chip on the Wichita State players' shoulders to, you know, go go show them uh, how, how they play defense or, or how they perform in a conference tournament? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think you look at, uh, you know, this whole season, they, they've had a chip on their shoulders. So, um, you know, awards like this, uh, I will point out the, they are voted on by coaches, so don't get mad at, uh, don't get mad at us, the media. I'll probably do my own awards. Um, I'm going to have to do my deep dive probably tonight, Monday night, and then Tuesday, maybe release that early Wednesday. Um, so I'll, I'll have to look. I'll take a look. I haven't done it yet. But, uh, um, yeah, these will be the coaches' awards. But, yeah, I mean, the players, they, they, they you know, they might not care about it, but, you know, they, they're definitely aware of it. I think it would add, you know, more fuel to the fire, another chip on the shoulder, uh, whatever, you know, motivation they would need uh, going into that conference tournament for sure. All right, Wichita State finishes at the top of the conference. Let's talk about the all-conference teams. So between all of them, over under Wichita State, setting the line at 2.5. Let's go with you, Taylor, first. Are they over or under on the number of players on the all-conference teams? Yeah, I'm going to go, was that kind of like the all-freshmen, or are we just talking like first, second, third team? First, second, third team. I'm going to go under. I think uh, this has kind of been a a case of, you know, the sum of the parts kind of add up to more. So I think, uh, you know, Tyson's obviously a lock. I think Dexter's going to, I would predict Dexter probably gets the third team. And then I I don't see a a spot for Altariq or Mo, which would be the, the two other candidates for WSU. I'm not even for sure on Dexter either. There could be a situation where WSU only gets one. So uh, we'll just have to see how that goes. But I'll go under on that one. I was tempted to go over until I listened to Taylor, and now I'm, I'm feeling depressed, and I'm going to take the <laughs> under too. I, I do think Mo Udeze, he's so improved uh, from last season. And, and the free throws. The free throws and just his ability down low. I mean, I was not a Mo fan at the beginning of the year. But, I mean, add that to another storyline, someone who was going to leave – and then came back and and it's had the year that he's had. It's it, you know he gets a lot of credit. He's done fantastic. I mean, there's there's, there's so many good stories here on on this WSU team. And, um, I mean, the coaches could surprise me too. Who knows? I, I just think that there's a perception that because WSU you know didn't play a full schedule that um, they're they're not going to get you know the full respect that you know, maybe a regular conference championship team would get. Is that a dog in the background? Are you getting the full respect uh, in the home? <laughs> no, no. All right. Not at all. So finally, I want to talk about dream scenario. Wichita State goes on a run, wins the conference tournament, so you know they're going to play in the big dance. We're going to set the ceiling on what seed they could get. So we're going to set it at 8.5. So are they better? Are they an 8 or better? Or are they a 9 or worse if they win the conference tournament title? Let's start with you, Dustin. I think the highest they can get is a 9 seed, which if you remember the last time they were a 9 seed in the NCAA tournament, that went pretty well. That was okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe they have to play Gonzaga again and they can take them down. But uh, I, I think the 9 seed's about as high as they can go. Yeah, that would be 
that would bring back some vibes there for sure. They're the nine seed and play Gonzaga. I don't, I don't know if uh, Gonzaga would like that too much. But they'd have yeah, some I mean, PTSD, I, I is what they'd have. Yeah, I, I agree though. I think nine might be a little. It just depends on who they beat. You know, if they, um, if it's like uh, Cincinnati in the semis, and then uh, Memphis in the finals, then maybe it's only a ten. But if they beat Houston again, now you're, you know, you got that that extra Q one. Uh, Q1A win, uh, then you're, I think then you're in the, the conversation of, of a nine. So yeah, I mean, if it's the right field, if you get SMU and Houston, yeah, I think nine is possible, but I have, I have a feeling it's going to be probably 10 or 11. In other news that happened last week, you were named the KIAAA Sports Writer of the Year. Congrats. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Not bad for, you know, obviously I, I do Wichita State uh, for most of my job, but um, you know, I still try to do high school sports uh, as much as I can. So that was a huge honor. Uh, you know, I, I grew up uh, reading the, the Wichita Eagle sports section for the high school sports. And that's how I got my start in the industry. And obviously, uh, when I got hired full time, that's the job I, I was doing. So, yeah, it's uh, a, to- a complete honor and a lot of people to thank uh, uh, have been able to make it happen. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. The same week, I found out I got, uh, you know, three uh, national awards for my uh, uh, WSU beat reporting, and then uh, the very next day, yeah, I find out the, the high school uh, sports writer of the year. So yeah, it's been a pretty good. And then my birthday was the day before, so yeah, pretty good week. It's a good year for you. It's the year of Taylor Eldridge. And in fact, the reason you're not here is because you're out covering more high school sports. So definitely the hardest working <laughs> yep. sports writer in America. I'm going to call it right now. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of work. You know, March is always a busy month in my in my life. Uh, I was uh, yeah telling my parents. I mean, I don't, I can't remember the last time I actually celebrated my birthday on my birthday, just because it's always sub state basketball. Uh, you know, and now it's you know important college basketball games and uh, conference tournaments, NCAA tournaments. So March is always super busy, but I love it. Huge basketball fan, so it's, I'm li- living the dream right now. Well, hopefully this dream will continue on here for a few more weeks for the Chalkers. Hopefully next week with a NCAA tournament bracket to break down. And uh, we'll uh, have great Shocker coverage through the end of the season. And Taylor, what should our listeners do? Gotta raise five stars. This show is part of the ICT Podcast Network. For more information, visit ictpod.net.